Today's podcast is brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. The terror attacks in Brussels have spurred much discussion about whether such an incident could happen in the United States. Experts and national security-minded members of Congress note that while border security is much more fragmented than Europe, enough soft targets exist here to make an ISIS-inspired attack a major concern. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by White House correspondent John Bennett and national security reporter Ryan Lucas. John, the sense you get from talking to the experts is while the United States has been more or less on war footing since 9-11, you can't stop everything and there are plenty of soft targets, right? That's right. Just think about the United States. Think about how big it is. Think about how many malls there are, how many sporting events are held every day, every night. And it really is the United States of soft targets. You can't protect everything all the time and you can't protect everything maybe well enough all the time. And one thing the Brussels attacks have done, uh, and we see this every now and then, it's, it's rare in Washington these days, but it really brought agreement among Republican and Democratic lawmakers that I talked to. And they say uh, that this could happen here, that something like this could happen in an airport, in a subway, at a sporting event, anywhere really. There are a couple things that I'd, that I'd add to that. And one is that this is something that uh, folks in the national security establishment have been talking about for well, more than a decade, um, Richard Clark had an article back in 2005 or 2006 uh, warning of, you know, maybe al-Qaeda's next uh, uh, sort of targets that they would hit would be malls. Um, and, and that's something that we ended up seeing in Kenya where al-Shabaab attacked uh, the Westgate Mall there. So this is, this is something that you really, as John said, you, you can't stop all of this. There are so many soft targets. And the other thing is, is with, with airport security, you know, some people have talked about uh, the fact that you can get into an airport with a bag that's not checked. There are places where they do check bags uh, outside of the building. Um, you do it in Istanbul, I believe, and in, in, in Turkey, they, they check before you get into the building. In Baghdad, they certainly check before you get into the building, and they actually have a checkpoint before you get to the place where they even check those bags. I'm not sure that we're to that point yet in, in the West. I'm not sure that people will be ready for that. But that's, that's certainly an option. Uh, but even then, you have a line that is waiting to get into the inside of the airport that's just waiting at the at, uh, detector there. So ultimately, can you stop all this? I don't know. I've thought uh, since the attack about Dulles Airport and the large parking garage that sits perpendicular to the terminal, and there's a, there's a walkway that's fairly long that leads into the ticketing area. During the holidays, on very busy travel days, I've gone from the second third floor of of that garage on the outdoor walkway, walked into a very busy ticketing area, but I didn't encounter a single person, and I had a large bag, so it it could happen here. Ryan, your reporting indicates an attack like what we saw in San Bernardino, California, is probably the likelier model for the U.S. than what transpired in Brussels or what happened in Paris in November. Uh, The nation is awash in guns. There are ISIS-inspired players, even if they aren't necessarily foreign fighters, returning home. 
Well, yes, and and there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff uh, alluded to some of them yesterday uh, in his comments after the the Brussels attack. You have the issue of just the sheer numbers of Western Europeans who have gone to Syria and Iraq to fight either with the Islamic State or some other uh, extremist groups. The numbers are are staggering. In Western Europe, you have 5,000 people who have gone. Many of them have come back. Many of them have died. Uh, many of them are still there. But in, in Belgium alone, according to a study that was done at the end of 2015, there were 500 people. In France, there were more than 1,500. In the U.K., more than 750. In all of the U.S., the estimate is around 250. And you also just have the, the sheer uh, resources that have been put into combating terrorism in the U.S. in the past 15 years. You know, the U.S., as John uh, alluded to, has been on a war footing, so to speak, since the 9-11 attacks. And the resources that the U.S. has brought to bear really has made a difference in that. Uh, and that's not something that uh, Europe has really done to the degree that the U.S. has, particularly places like Belgium. There's also the sense that uh, Muslim communities here are maybe a little bit better assimilated, John, uh, than they are in Europe. You, you mentioned about the sense of isolation and alienation that feeds us. Yeah, lawmakers and experts uh, in the hours after the Brussels attack talked a lot about this. And, you know, they were fairly critical of European governments that they haven't done enough to make uh, uh, Muslims feel a part of their individual countries. And certainly, you know, I I don't think, uh, especially the radicalized folks, but when you talk to experts, they don't think a lot of the Muslims in Europe feel very European. So when you don't have a job, you don't have a lot of money. You don't have. A, you don't feel like you have a future. You know. You can start to see how someone would start to have these feelings, and would start to look for something to belong to. And I think the numbers that Ryan just laid out kind of tell that story. And what you get to 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 an extent in 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 Europe and in some of the communities, the Algerian community in in France, Morocco, is a, a you know first generation children who were born in France but don't feel totally accepted there. They're not Algerian or Moroccan because they're not fully accepted back home because they were born in France and France is, is, is their culture or Belgium. So they're kind of left in this no man's land, which I think makes it very difficult in many cases for, for them to find you know, what they consider to be their place. A lot of the concern about ISIS is rooted in the Syria problem, uh, people getting radicalized, going over there to fight, then returning. Uh, would the Brussels attacks make this administration rethink its Syria policy? Uh, did the November Paris attacks make them rethink it? The November Paris attacks didn't, and even more tellingly, the San Bernardino attack didn't bring about any even smaller medium changes to the administration's po- Syria policy. President Obama in Argentina a full over a full day after the Brussels attacks, finally talked at length about this, and it was just he doesn't use this term. This is a George W. Bush term, but stay the course. I mean that is the policy. Um, you know we're doing airstrikes, we're targeting their finances, uh, we're targeting their leadership, we're trying to make it hard for them to operate on the ground in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and you know we can't say Obama doubled down, but maybe he quadrupled down. In, our, in Argentina talking about this. And the administration, they're really playing a long game. They're trying to weaken ISIS as much as they can. But when you talk to experts, talk to even former officials that came out of this administration, uh, in the more candid moments, there's not really a Syria policy that leads to an outcome, a final outcome 
that gets rid of the that moves the Assad regime out and moves something in, and the administration just they're focused on on ISIL, but it's really the Syria part because as long as Syria is unstable, ISIS and these disaffected folks from Europe and elsewhere can go there and and, and join the group, get training, and go back to their home countries to do attacks. And well, the, I mean, the, the, there is a fair amount of of criticism, and and one can argue that it's it's. It's fairly legitimate criticism sure. of, of the administration's Syria policy. I think that what Republicans uh, in particular have struggled to explain is what they would do differently. And this was the case after the, the Paris attacks. You just kind of had different gradients of what we're already doing. Um, you do have some McCain, Graham, who will say, you know, we need to put in 20,000, 30,000 troops. But uh, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee um, was speaking with reporters earlier today and he said, you know, we need a new strategy. And then when pressed to explain what, what would that be, what he came up with was a conference. Let's talk to more people, um, which isn't really pushing this, this forward. Uh, you don't hear a lot of new ideas. You hear a lot of criticism, but nothing really new coming from, uh, from anywhere, really. Now, the United States has arguably the most robust intelligence network. It's developed tools to allow intelligence sharing, and there's a fair amount of back and forth with NATO, other allies. How is that likely to change now, Ron? Well, following the Paris attacks in, in November, what the U.S. did was ramp up its uh, its intelligence sharing, particularly in, in military terms, with, with France, um, allowing them to you know, coordinate better on targets in, in, Fran- in, excuse me, in Syria and, uh, and Iraq. The U.S. is already cooperating very closely with its European allies, its NATO allies. They've offered to do as much as they can following, uh, following this attack. But I'm not sure that ultimately this is something that is going to be solved by you know, the, the U.S. cooperating better with, with Europe. This is something that Europe is going to have to tackle on its own. The U.S. can assist, but Belgium has problems internally with uh, sharing information. Europe has problems internally with sharing information among countries. Until that's fixed, and maybe this will provide the impetus for Europe to, to tackle that issue on its own, but there's only so much that the U.S. can do. National Security Reporter Ryan Lucas and White House Correspondent John Bennett on the fallout from the terror attacks in Brussels. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now. And you can download our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Today's podcast was brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org.